The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other shit, and all the other things waiting for us in the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 139, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but could never quite reach. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. How are you? I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I'm all, that's why I screwed up the intro. I'm all jacked up because we, <laughs> we just finished recording with our special guest. I thought you were going to say, yeah, scary shit. Well, there's that too. I mean, that's, that's just... <laughs> and all the shit that scares you. Just my shitty body is scary enough right now. So, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yes. On, on this episode, we have, as I said, a very special guest. We are telling stories with, with really the king, the man himself, Jim Harold. And we're, we're going to save most of that for the B segment because it's just great and, you know, nothing we say is going to do justice to it. But I got to tell you, Paul, it was surreal. Mm, it certainly was. I've been on his show a couple times, but to have him here with us telling stories with us, like we're equals somehow, mm. wild, yeah. man. Wild. Crazy days. Crazy days. Oh, so I cannot wait to share that with you guys. But before we get there, my man's got a story and I've been waiting for this for three days now. <laughs> so Mr. Bestel. Yes. Yeah, so it was, it was father's day the other day. So I, I, I met my, my daughter for lunch and she was staying at a, a work colleagues in, in Sheffield because obviously there's some train strikes going on. So she was staying in Sheffield overnight so she didn't have to travel in. Right. And so she was staying at a friend's house and the lady she was stopping with has a flatmate called Gray. And so they were talking uh, and the conversation got around to what do you, what did your parents do or whatever? And um, so my daughter mentioned, well, my, my dad has a normal job, but also he does this other thing where he's a, he works on mysteries and monsters and he also co-presents the ghost story grinds. And the person they were staying with, their flatmate, Gray, who lives in Sheffield, uh, apparently listens to us avidly. So I just want to say hello to Gray, and yes, what you were told is true, and I am her dad. Holy shit. <laughs> well, hello, Gray. That is incredible. It's a very small world. It's a very small world. You're a legit celebrity now, Bestel. <laughs> My daughter said, oh, they'll probably want an autograph. And so I said, well, I, I didn't mention this. So this will be come as a complete surprise because I've not told her that we we're going to give them a shout out on the show. Oh, that's great. Well, you got a, you got a best autograph coming. And uh, tell you what, you send me, send me an address. I will send you some stickers. Great. So just go to guys at gmail.com. 
shoot me a message. I will send you some stickers because shit, that is, that is cool as hell. It is. It was nearly as good as getting an email uh, complimenting me about mentioning Rotherham on the last episode. Oh, really? (laughs) I love that that landed with someone. (laughs) We were kind of unhinged on that last episode and no one said anything in the emails. No one went, what the fuck was with that weird Tom Cruise impression you did? No one did that. (laughs) Yes. The person said, uh, well, I can't really say anything because I live in Preston. So they'll know who they are as well. So hello to them as well. (laughs) Oh man, that is great. So I I have nothing so interesting to share. I have recently (laughs) uh, moved into a a new co-working space for the next month, just so I can focus on the book. Because as I've told you a hundred thousand times, I have construction on two two of my three sides here. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of our cats is, she's dealing with some stuff. And so if there's any noise at all, it kind of freaks her out and stresses her out. Then she starts making noise. So what I tend to do is now I kind of get her comfy on the couch. You know, she likes watching. I, I, I know this is sad, but she's old. She likes watching cat TV on YouTube. It's like these eight hour long, just single camera placements of birds eating seeds and squirrels coming by. And, and it just, cause again, she's, she's an elderly old, old little lady. It's, mm. it's like her stories. It's, it's her soap operas. You know, this is coronation street for elderly cats. Yeah. <laughs> or the day, days of our lives or whatever. Yeah, or the days of our lives, depending on which region <laughs> you happen to be in. <laughs> or, or neighbors for our Australian listeners. There, there and- we go. Yes. And sad news that Neighbours is now finished. Oh, the final episode has happened, has it? Apparently so, yes. Uh, um, I, I saw that they brought back uh, Guy Pierce as Mike, which I thought yeah. was quite quite cute and charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no mention. Of, I don't know too much about what happened. There were loads of people supposedly coming back, but um, a lot of people saying here, oh, it's a real shame. And then the general thing was, well, do you still watch it? And everybody was going, no. Well, there you <laughs> are, and that's why it's finishing. <laughs> I got some bad news for you guys. Don't watch the thing. <laughs> it's like people who pirate independent movies and go, why don't they make more movies like this? Well, you motherfucker, you stole it. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> Jeez, I told Jim I was going to keep it PG for his audience. Okay, well, it's, sorry, Jim. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've moved into a, a temporary co-working space and uh, obviously not for recording, although they do actually have a podcast studio there, which is quite lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm going to be using that at some point, but it's just nice having a, an office to go to. It's, it's a very, it's about 20,000 square feet. So you can basically just post up wherever you find room and there's a lot of chairs and tables and things like this. So. It's been a bit strange around here. I've, I've suddenly begun to realize I've, I've uncovered six haunted houses in, in the area I live that I wasn't aware of. Six? Yeah. Holy smokes. So are you planning to, uh, start bestial investigations? I, I, I may do. Um, obviously, there's the, the, the street behind me where they had the floating head incident. And then right. obviously, we've discovered that there's supposed to be a ghost of a white lady wandering around the park, which I can also see. Um, right. There's two poltergeist infestations that happened in the 70s around the corner. Oh. Um, there's another old lady who's seen in another house. And apparently, that one last was last reported about five years ago. And then. There's, um, at the end of the, the, the road, there's a haunted bridge where somebody sees a lady as well. No kidding. Mm. So yes. How, and this all just came up recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was, um, digging in cause I've just done that interview for the paranormal Pendle, the Pendle paranormal podcast, or Pendle pa- right. paranormal Pendle. I can't remember which way it is. <laughs> Three times fast. Yeah. Paranormal Pendle podcast. 
Um, and so I was talking about some of the hauntings in Sheffield and my favorite cases. And um, I found a book that I'd forgotten I'd bought. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and I was reading it and I just realized that I wasn't aware of, of three of those stories. I wasn't aware of that there's a ghost in the park that's been seen several times at all. And I've been in that park hundreds of times. I'll be damned. Mm. But I know that there's a building at the top of the park that's supposed to be haunted, but there's also something else at the other side of the park. Interesting. Mm. Well, I, I look forward to seeing how that develops. Yes, might might live stream something at one o'clock in the morning over the summer, something. I will be watching. <laughs> you can live stream it to our OnlyFans account, which may be a thing at some point. <laughs> All right. So, of course, uh, we have wonderful stories of campfire and, and camp, camping-related nightmares uh, sh to share with, uh, with you and, of course, with our guest storyteller. But before we get there, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you're our sun, our moon, our guiding star, our kind of wonderful. That's what you are. It's a little berry white for you here on this dark and stormy night. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are... Lauren Sylvester. Kerry King, but probably not that Kerry King. Who, which Kerry King is it? Uh, well, I assume it's not the guitarist for Slayer. Ah, right. Okay. Threw me there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Oh, okay. I guess why would you? That's a weird. That's a weird poll. Okay. Nancy Pomrenke and Carmen M. Guys, thank you so, so, so much. We joke around a lot about this, but really, you guys are the soul of the show. I mean, everyone who listens to Ghost Story, guys, you make us who we are. But the patrons are the ones who actually allow the show to continue. You help pay the bills. You allow me to be a full-time podcaster, and we just appreciate the ever-loving hell out of every single one of you guys. And if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We'll tell you at the end of the show about all the cool shit you get, but we will say for a dollar an episode, you get an ad-free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. And again, if you want to learn more, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. And just before we hit the break, we want to give a shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Of course, Rainy Days for Ghosts is our in-host composer here at Ghost Story Guys, and they are also open to commissions. So if you're looking for music for your podcast, Head to rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com and shoot them an email. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Jim Harold and the shadows beyond the campfire. Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we have a very, very special guest. Really, a, a special guest who needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyways, because, you know, it's just the polite thing to do. Yes. Jim Harrell has been podcasting since 2005. His shows have been downloaded more than 60 million times. He's the author of the wildly successful Campfire book series and host of the Paranormal Podcast, which was literally the first Paranormal Podcast I ever listened to. It is the reason I am here, and so you can blame him for that later. We'll, we'll deal with the, the fallout of that particular, that particular <laughs> discovery here in a while. Uh, and he is, of course, host of Jim Harold's Campfire, 
Jim, I again, we are honored to welcome you to Ghost Story Guys. Well, it's great to be with you both, and thank you so much for the kind words. That is uh, actually too kind, but I appreciate it, and, <laughs> and uh, thank you so much. It's good to be with uh, y'all, and uh, looking forward to talking about spooky stuff. Oh, us too. I, we don't, we, we uh, try to theme our episodes as much as possible, so recently we did an episode on, gone right out of my head, I can't remember, Paul, what was the last episode about? Strange Animals. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. Strange Animals. And this time around, we thought we would theme the episode around campfires. So we have stories from campgrounds, from the woods, uh, because as Paul and I like to say on this show, you should never go into the woods. The outside is evil. Inside is where you are safe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's funny. I just had a, I haven't even released it as of this recording. I'm going to be releasing a little bit later today. Just had a walk in the woods story. Oh, really? Yeah. Just had, uh, I'll just give you a little snippet of it. A uh, woman walked in the woods, uh, walking along, mind her own business, getting some peace and quiet, kind of in a park in an urban area, but it's wooded. It's not like almost like a central park type thing, like in Portland or something. She's hmm. walking through. She looks up and it looks like she's walking into another reality. She can say it looks like a village of hobbits. Oh. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So I thought that was so uh, kind of synchronistic that you decided, and I didn't know this, that you were going to talk about campfires and woods and those kind of things. And I just literally have a show on this week's campfire that talks about exactly that thing. That is cool. And, and continuing that synchronicity train, I am sitting in on a sociology class uh, at Georgia Southwestern University where we're talking about the sociology of the paranormal in America. And I'm sort of just there as like a classroom resource, basically. But we literally just talked about the Duende. The little people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, uh, and the Menahune. I uh, was at Hawaii. So yeah. just uh, a lot of, lot, of, lot of this going, around, going along. It, it means, they say it means you're on the right track. So we're doing something right, guys. Absolutely. I guess so. Well, strangely enough, to add to the, to the weirdness factor, I was talking to somebody yesterday who said, have you heard about the ghost in your local park? Oh. That I can see from my, my front room window. And I said, no. He said, oh, uh, a guy in the mid nineties was out walking his dog when this white lady appeared in the park and started towards him. And for some unknown reason, he decided to run towards it with his dog and the, the ghost <laughs> turned around and started drifting back into the woods. I'll be damned. Huh. So I don't know. I don't know. There must be something in the air. It's going around. It's, it's <laughs> the, probably the, the, the least worst thing going around at the moment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jim, before we get going with the stories, we just wanted to just talk to you a little bit about your career because, I mean, it's not to blow smoke too much, but it, it's just, it's an incredible thing. Like, you are probably, if not the OG paranormal podcaster, you're pretty damn close. Yeah. I mean, Gene Steinberg was doing Paracast, I think, before I was. Yeah. If you're talking strictly podcast, because people were doing online radio and things, but you're talking podcast, really podcasting got going at any level at all in 2004. And uh, I, I've always been a big talk radio fan, and I was also a frustrated broadcaster. I worked in radio, but uh, on the business side, and I'd gone to school to be a broadcaster, wanted to be a broadcaster, never ended up being able to do it. And by this time, I had a wife, two kids, a mortgage, the whole thing. So I couldn't, like, quit my job and go to Paducah, uh, you know, and, and, and start all over in my 30s. But I heard about this. Uh, I started listening to um, a podcast. I found out about it. I listened to Adam Curry. I listened to Leo yeah. Laporte, the great tech podcaster. 
and I heard they were doing these shows. I'm like, oh my gosh, I couldn't do what these guys do. They're, they're pros. They've been doing this for decades. But then I heard some of the homemade podcasts. And I said, well, I could do that. And they said, well, what am I going to, what am I going <laughs> to, I could definitely do that. Um, and I said, you know, what fascinates me? And, you know, I'm like most people. I have different interests, music, politics, sports, and none of those things fit the bill. What am I going to add in sports? Uh, what am I going to add in politics? Plus, I don't want to fight. Yeah. Uh, music. You can't play music on a podcast. And then I thought about other things that I enjoyed. And I considered history for a while and true crime. And I said, you know, the one subject that I always go back to, if I go to a bookstore or a library, wherever it might be, or if I'm flipping around on the TV, what am I looking for? Paranormal. Paranormal. And to me, that was why ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, the whole lot. Yeah. Sure. And I said, you know, that's something that interests me so I could pursue my love of broadcasting. And this is simply a hobby at this point. And I can do a show where I interview people about the paranormal, these experts, and maybe I can learn something in the process. And the thing was, is that I looked around and I'm like, there's not many people doing this. There's hardly anybody doing this. So I thought, well, what's a name? Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, <laughs> but I thought, well, it's the paranormal and it's a podcast. <laughs> Surely somebody has that name. They did not. So that became the paranormal podcast. Fabulous. And, and like I said, when I was starting to learn about the paranormal, I literally put in paranormal podcast and, oh, hey, here we are. And so that I, I have to imagine that has that has worked out for you. That right now, if you go on Google, it's like the two top slots. So it does, you know, it does, it does help a lot. It at least gets people to sample it. And then some people listen and say, this guy is not my cup of tea. I don't like this guy. But then other people will say, you know, this sounds good. Let's listen to some more. And then they find the campfire and hopefully they become long-term listeners. So when you got into paranormal podcasting, Jim, did you, you had an interest, but were you much of a believer or were you more like me, more of kind of a had a casual interest just because it was something to learn about that sounded cool, but you thought, eh, I don't know if this is actually a thing that happens. No, I always was a believer. Now, I'm not someone, I've never been someone who believes everything is a ghost. Sure. You know, sometimes a leaky faucet's a leaky faucet. <laughs> sometimes indications on an EMF meter are bad electrical. You know, I, I, I totally believe that before I believe it now. But I've always been a believer, and it goes back to, and I think, Brennan, we may have talked about this. I've mentioned this so many times. When I was a real little kid and used to watch the old TV show here in the States uh, in search of with Leonard Nimoy. So, I mean, I was like five, six years old watching that, getting books out of the library about the Bermuda Triangle. I mean, this was something right. that resonated with me from a very young age. And my family had some supernatural stories. And my, my parents were working class folks. My dad was a steel worker. My uh, mom, and may not be proper to say this now, but was considered at that time what they call a homemaker. Sure. And so these were not people who like had pyramids under their bed or were trying to get in touch with the oneness of the universe. They were pretty salt of the earth folks. But they had a couple stories that blew me away. And the funny thing about those stories, they never changed. Over the course of their whole lives. My dad's right. still with us. He's 86. My mom, unfortunately, passed about nine years ago. But that, those, the stories, the couple of stories that were imparted to me growing up, I think that kind of lit my fire. And those stories never changed. And that told me that regular people had weird things to happen to them that they couldn't explain and that they weren't making up. 
So I think that kind of lit the fire, the the TV shows in search of, then later on, of course, Unsolved Mysteries, of course, the late great Art Bell. Uh, It all kind of worked together to keep this fire always burning inside of me, always looking for answers. I don't suppose you can share one of those stories with us. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'll give you the kind of UFO one. So anyway, uh, my mom and dad, um, I was born in 69. They were uh, down in West Virginia, state of West Virginia here in the States where um, they were originally from, although they had met in Ohio, lived in Ohio, and I've born and raised in Ohio. But they were down visiting my grandmother and uh, they dropped the baby off at grandma's and then they went to this secluded area. Now, I don't want to know, guys, what they were doing there. I don't want to know why they drove to a dark secluded area. I can't deal with that visual. But nevertheless, nevertheless, they said they were parked. They were looking out. And anybody that's been in a really rural area knows when it's dark, it's dark. It's not like being in a city at night. There are no street lights. There's nothing. It's pitch black dark. So anyway, uh, they said all of a sudden, my dad, I think, was driving an old Buick Le Sabre 1968, like one of those like battleships, you know. Yes. And uh, anyway, the whole sky lights up and it stays this way for about 30 seconds. And my dad said it was so bright. And my mom collaborated all this that they could read the clock on the dash and the speedometer, just like somebody had shined a big light. Then my dad said he turned to his left and there was a man with a welding mask next to him who held his hand up. And then now my mom didn't see the man with the welding mask, but my dad did. And he swears he saw it. And he still says 86 years old, still says he saw it. Then, you know, this kind of a gravelly dirt road. They said, let's get out of here. So my dad peels out and he's going down the road. And then my mom, I'll give it to you in her her uh, semi-southern accent. She said, then, Jimmy, I looked over on the bank and they were the biggest birds I ever saw in my life, which reminds me of the work of somebody like Mike Cleland and mm, Owls sure. and Screen Memories. And then the next I'm getting chills just talking about it now. And the next day they fully expected to, to see some news report or something. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. And this was probably about 1970, which wasn't too far removed from things like the Silver Bridge. Of course. Uh, that was a different part of West Virginia, but it wasn't West Virginia. And, uh, you know, Mothman. So it got me to thinking, you know, did my folks have like some kind of encounter with aliens? Were there some kind of screen memories at play? I don't know. But I know that's a story that they told from the moment I can remember uh, until my mom passed in, in 2013. My dad still tells the same way today. Never changed, never said, hey, you know, I was just pulling your leg. No. Right. And, uh, you know, stuff like that sticks with you. It sure would. Uh, Paul, you're our resident UFO expert. Are you familiar or have you heard of stories of, of someone presenting or of a contactee presenting with a, uh, a face shield? Not that I'm aware of. Um... I mean, obviously, we've had a couple of experiences and witnesses over here that have encountered very strange looking people alongside seeing something in the sky or something coming down, though nothing in regards to that, though it does seem to remind me of of something that happened in the 1950s, where they had a kind of encounter with someone who they thought was wearing some kind of helmet that they couldn't see all of their face, but it wasn't as sort of descriptive as, as wearing a welding mask or something of that nature. 
I mean, to my thinking is, you know, when somebody describes something, they usually describe it in terms they understand. Yeah. So to him, being a steel worker, he was used to seeing people in welding masks. Yeah. So that's something he could relate to. So it probably was more probably, I'm guessing, I don't know, I wasn't there, but it's more like something akin to a welding mask, if you Mm. know what I'm saying. I was just thinking the the story of the monkey man of Delhi. I, mm. I believe he was wearing a helmet. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few strange ones. There's often some encounters, and like you say, Jim, I think often when you've got no frame of reference and you see something strange, you automatically drop into what you know or what your environment right. is or what you've been brought up with. So I don't think that, you know, I don't think your dad was saying, oh, it was, it was somebody wearing a welding mask. It obviously was something that reminded them of it because right. when you're shocked, your brain kind of creates the picture that you describe going forwards. And the other piece to that is, remember, we're talking 1970. Mm. No close encounters, no X-Files, no Star Wars, uh, yeah. you know, Star Trek would be on. But I mean, there wasn't a great deal in the popular culture to kind of cultivate these images in people's mm. minds. You know, people now will immediately go to Grey's or go to whatever, and a lot of it reflects the popular entertainment, but there wasn't that much of it back then. Yeah. And, and to be fair, even in that environment in, through the 60s and, and Little Green Men and, and the usual tropes that the media would play out if they did cover anything of that nature, Jim, it doesn't sound like anything that would have appeared widely at that time anyway. Right. Yeah. It also puts me in mind of, um, I was, uh, like I said, I've been, I've been participating in this class and the professor, Joseph, he's uh, one of our patrons. And at the end of every class, he tells a ghost story from he's, he's currently working on a book. And one of the stories he told recently uh, involves a bird-like creature, wake, someone waking up in their room to seeing this, this enormous bird-like creature perched on a chair but the, the creature had the face and hair of a man. Huh. Mm. And that was just, I believe it was just yesterday he told that story. So again, yeah, fascinating synchronicity. And before we uh, move on, I just want to share something since we're talking about things potentially coming from the sky, uh, a piece of email that came in from our listener, Travis. And uh, Travis said that uh, last summer I was driving home around 1130 at night. I ha- As I turned the car onto my street, I happened to glance up. I live in a very busy area now two blocks from 8 Mile and therefore two blocks from Detroit City Line. Not the kind of place one might expect to find some sort of unexplained aerial event. At about the height a helicopter or maybe a puddle jumper kind of plane might fly, I saw what appeared to be a giant eerie green panel light up. I was still driving Mm. the car and the panel was fixed in the sky, a a matrixy green glow and roughly the size of a football field. It was there for maybe five seconds and when I glanced back up to the road and then up again, it had dimmed to nothing. It reminded me of the Truman Show for some reason. Like there was a giant invisible dome over the city and one part of it had just been somehow activated. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I just thought again, you know, since we're, we're talking about things which could very well come from the sky, it seemed like an, a nice little companion. <laughs> well, strangely, I was speaking to Craig Bryan, who's a researcher over in Lancashire yesterday, and he was telling me before we did our proper chat about something called the Colm Portal, which is a little village in Lancashire, where three people saw a circle appear in the sky like someone had got a, a light pen and had just drawn a, an enormous circle above them and they watched it appear for about 30 seconds and then it just kind of fizzled back out again the way it had been drawn. That's amazing. It reminds me of a campfire story we had years ago about a woman who swears, and I, and I spoke to her a couple of times and she seemed perfectly credible. When she was a kid, she went to the beach or something 
And uh, I forget the exact who she was with, but whoever she was with, they point the sky said, look at that. And there was a castle mm. in the sky, oh. uh, like a castle in the sky. You could even see the bricks. It was that finely detailed. And uh, I believe it just uh, after a while it disappeared, but you could see the uh, chain links coming down for the moat bridge. Yeah. Wow. And it reminded me of the military experiments that supposedly were done about projecting things into the sky to like freak out your freak out your enemies. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe kind of portray it as a religious thing to get people to surrender, those kind of things I know that right. the military, U.S. military supposedly worked on. So, yeah. uh, you know, it seems like, and that's a, many times the thing with the campfire stories I find is, um, is that it's kind of like, well, could that really be? And then I'm like, well, who am I to say? Uh, there's a lot of weird things in this world. And, uh, you know, some of them just don't fit, whether it's a guy with a welding, quote, welding mask, uh, strange birds or a castle in the sky. Mm. Before we get to more stories of strange things, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about. Yep. And now we all have this in common. We all have a point in our life where if we had made a very, we've made even a slightly different decision, we would not be here today. And you had one such occasion where uh, you did not stay at home for a night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talk about, talk about a quote, synchronicity. <laughs> okay. So uh, I grew up in kind of, I uh, live in the Cleveland, Ohio area. It's a kind of, you know, it's uh, a lot of people call it little Chicago. It's kind of like Chicago, but smaller. Okay. Uh, and it has some great assets, but uh, there's some tough areas. I grew up in a relatively tough area. Uh, I, and out of college, I moved to uh, what was considered still a little rough, but uh, better, better area. Mm. So I anyway, started to date my wife, who was a suburbanite. I was not a suburbanite. I grew up in the city. And um, anyhow, uh, one day we go to the big amusement park, which is about an hour and a half away by the name of Cedar Point. It's, it's really known throughout the world for its roller coasters. Yeah. It's probably one of the, the best amusement parks in the United States or in the world in terms of roller coasters. Anyway, we went there and we were driving back home and, and I dropped, I was going to drop her at her house. It was about 30 minutes from where I lived. And she said, you know what? Don't go home tonight. I'll ask my dad, because she lived at home with her folks at this point. We were in our early 20s. Um, she said, let me ask my dad, which scared the heck out of me because he was like this kind of tough Italian guy. <laughs> and uh, I said, really? And she said, yeah, you could fall asleep uh, at the wheel or something. I don't think you're going to make it home. You're so tired. I said, go ahead and ask him. So I slept <laughs> on the couch. So the next morning we got up, they made a nice breakfast. I'm like, you know, I could get used to this family. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm in a good mood. I'm going home. I pull in front of the house and I see um, it was one of those old A-frame style houses. So the neighbors, uh, not the neighbor, the landlord's son lived in the back and I lived in the front half. Landlord was a really nice guy. And uh, anyway, his son is like standing across from our house, pointing. And I pull up and uh, I get out and say, I say, hey, Dave, how's it going? And he says, we got to talk. And I'm like, (laughs) well, 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 what's up? And he said, there's been a drive-by. I'm like, a (laughs) drive-by? Whose house got shot up? He said, our house. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> funny now, but it wasn't funny then. Yeah. But, um, it turns out, it turns out that um, someone had come by about three o'clock in the morning, mm. and they had opened fire on our house with an AK forty-seven. Uh, I had a uh, microwave that took a direct hit. I had brought a new microwave. I was so proud. Ooh, I bought my first appliance. <sighs> took a direct hit. I had an old, one of those double door refrigerators my uncle gave me. It was like 15 years old. He gave it to me. Um, a bullet went through one side of it, went through a bottle of ketchup <laughs> and through the other. Uh, there were at least five, six rounds. And I've got a piece somewhere wow. in this house of the shrapnel. And... Uh, and I wasn't there. And it was very unusual that I wasn't there. I was there every other night, basically. And for some reason, things worked out in such a way I wasn't there. Now, granted, I lived, I slept on the upper level. All the rounds hit the bottom. I felt really bad for the neighbor's son because he lived on the lower level. So they're like bullets whizzing over his head. Oof. But who's to say? You know, I might have gone downstairs to get a drink of water. Who knows? That's it. Who knows? Or maybe these people were lying in wait. Now, it was interesting when this was all over, the police come. And at this time, this area, again, was considered fairly stable. So the police were kind of shocked. Mm. And they said, well, what does this guy who lives here, what is this guy? What does he do? And he's not here. Very interesting. And they said, uh, well, he works at a classical music radio station. <laughs> Somebody didn't like Beethoven, I guess. No, uh, but uh, no. It turned out. It turned out that um, it was a case of mistaken identity. Mm. Our house was dark blue. Their house was light blue. The people next door. Oh. In the dark, our house looks blue. Mm. Their house looks white because it's those amber streetlights uh, they had. Right. And it turns out that the the folks next door crossed a motorcycle gang. Holy man. Yeah. So that was uh, my brush with death. Man alive. Paul, I don't know if anything we have is scarier than that. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, and it's anyway. the honest, it's the honest to God's truth. And again, this was another thing that engendered in me. And again, it could be a coincidence. It could be just a very lucky coincidence. But boy, it seems like a hell of a coincidence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, t I tend not to, uh, I, I don't write anything off anymore. Especially when it's a coincidence that results in all of us continuing to draw breath. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it was the first time you were invited to, to sleep on the couch, Jim, as well. It's almost, it was. As if, it's almost as if it was meant to be. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I, if you would have asked me that day, where are you going to be sleeping? I'm like, well, sleeping on my, in my bed. <laughs> I sure. mean, I had no, you know, I had no idea. Mm. And I didn't really feel that comfortable. You know what it's like when you're young and. You know, you're, I mean, we'd only been dating, gosh, maybe four or five months. Mm. I mean, it wasn't like a long-term relationship at that point. We ended up getting married, so it worked out. Mm. Uh, but, um, wow, it gives me pause every time I think about it. No kidding. Well, Paul, since we're on the subject, do you want to quickly share your story, one of your stories of, uh, of <laughs> near miss? Uh, I'm just trying to think which one would, would be suitable, really. I don't know. Um, the car? Oh, yeah. Wh which one? The one where my friends unfortunately passed away? Uh, if, you're, if you're okay telling it, yeah, sure. Yes. So, um, this happened on a, on a Friday night. Some friends had been out and we were, in those days, Jim, we used to basically spend our, our summer holidays moving around 
each of our friends' houses whose parents had gone away on holiday. So we were basically <laughs> sort of in a six-week moving caravan of, of chums just kind of hanging out together whilst their parents were out of way so we could uh, have some fun, shall we say. And um, for some reason, I decided I didn't really fancy going out that particular night because the Olympics were on. It was during the 1992 Olympics, and I love mm-hmm. the Olympics. So I thought, oh, I want to stay in. So my friend went with a couple of other guys and said, well, you're the oldest. You can you can look after the house. Obviously not the most responsible. It was just purely age, I think, Jim. <laughs> so um, they went off, and there'd been a little bit of an altercation. They came back, and, and one of the guys was really angry. Um, mm-hmm. And he's going, oh, I'm going to go around to this guy's house, and, and we're going to have it out. It's like 11, 12, half, half 11 at night. Oh, that's nice. Um, and there was about 10 of us there. And then oh, three or four of them said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll come with you. Um, and it's never happened before. And it's never happened since. And as clear as day, I just heard a voice next to my ear go, if, you, if, you, if they go, they'll die. Whoa. And I went, you know, a bit like, what's going on here? And so I carried on, and I said, you know, and I was trying to convince him anyway, regardless that it wasn't a good idea. Let's sleep on it. It's sure it'll be all fine in the morning. And it happened again, but it was louder and more intense. If they go again, if they go, they'll die. And I was getting really freaked out by this point. I'm thinking, am I, am I losing my mind? What, what's happening? And, and in the end, it, it, my behavior and what I was saying and the way I was acting started to freak everybody else out because they thought, well, Paul started to act really odd here. Right. So eventually I convinced everybody apart from my best friend not to go. And they went, oh, you, you, you're just trying to create a scene. You're, you're being stupid. And, and they went. Hmm. And everybody was like, why are you saying these things, Paul? Why, why would you say that to people? It's ridiculous. You, you're just being stupid. And I felt awful. I'm thinking, am I having a breakdown? What on earth? What, where did it come from? And then about... 15 minutes later, the phone rang. And my, my friend whose house it was looked at me and I said, they've crashed. And he picked the phone oh. up and, uh, and it was a woman who had been driving down the road and my best friend had managed, they, the car had come off the road and oh. they'd taken off and they'd landed 12 foot up a tree. Um, unfortunately, the driver was, was, was killed. But my friend oh. got out of the car. He broke both his legs. He fell, tw- fell 12 feet out of the tree, Jim, crawled up a banking, walked into the middle of the road, tried to flag a car down. The first car nearly ran him over again. <laughs> so he oh. would have had two oh. car accidents. And as he fell over, getting out of the way of the first car, there was a car following it. She stopped, found him, knocked on the neighbor's door, and they called us, saved his life. Um, and then everybody was just, it was just, the worst feeling wow. in the world because I, I've, I've never had a situation like that. I've had bad feelings and, and felt a bit strange at times, but that just came out of nowhere and it was an awful situation. But if they'd all got in the car and gone, there'd have been three or four people killed. So you saved, you saved some lives. You know, you know what it reminds me of a little, and I don't want to go too far a tangent, and that's such an amazing, amazing story. And kudos to you for listening to that voice and, and mm. saying something. It reminds me of the James Dean death car, Little mm. Bastard. Are you familiar yes. with this story? Yes. And Sir Alec Guinness? Yes. You, yeah. Basically, if listeners aren't familiar, basically the idea is that James Dean, I don't know if he was having dinner or whatever with Sir Alec Guinness and James Dean was, and this has come up 
on my daughter's podcast, Unpleasant Dreams. We just did a show on it a few weeks ago. And just yesterday with a guest I was recording, and we talked about uh, Little Bastard, James Dean, the American actor's uh, death car. Mm. And apparently he was talking with Alec Guinness about this car. He may have even showed him the car. And Alec Guinness said in so many words, um, if you drive that car and and get in that car, you're going in and start driving that around because he was going to start driving it in races. You'll be dead within two weeks. Mm. And two weeks to the day, James oh, wow. Dean was killed in that car. And Alec Guinness has been, was interviewed about this and told this story. So this isn't like some secondhand thing that came through some internet meme or Reddit or something. This is like Alec Guinness said, here's what happened. Yeah. And he said he didn't know why he got that feeling, but almost it reminded me so much like that voice that tells you, you Mm -hmm. know, and maybe, maybe that's what happened with my wife. Maybe she had a voice. Don't let him go. Yeah. Yeah. I I have seen Alec Guinness over here. He was on a, a a talk show in the seventies and he was asked about that story. So I've, I've also heard him speak quite candidly about it. And he just, cause I think they were talking about the supernatural for some reason. And he brought, and they said, have you ever had a supernatural experience? And he told the story about this premonition about James Dean. So yeah. uh, it's remarkable really. Yeah, it is. Things, things come to people. It's um, don't know mm-hmm. how it works, but it seems to do so. Yes. But miraculously, those things have brought us all together here. And now it's time to tell some stories. Well, gentlemen, it looks like we have our first story, and I'm very honored to be the first reader here. This is interesting, and this one sounds interesting. It's Camp Nowhere. When I was 14, my father and I went on our annual camping trip. Now, typically, we drove up to Cherokee, North Carolina, and stayed at the Yogi Campground there. But that particular year, we decided we wanted to go somewhere different. We stopped at a truck stop about half an hour outside of town and gathered up some pamphlets showcasing various options. One of the nicer-looking camps was tucked away up in the mountains, which suited us down to the ground and had some really competitive prices. I wish I could remember the name, but it was a long time ago. The pamphlet had the worst, most vague directions ever, but the price was good and it looked nice, so off we went. At first, nothing seemed out of sorts. Then we started to notice a lot of broken-down farm equipment and other such derelict machinery scattered on either side of the road. But even that didn't seem particularly unusual. What started pinging our weird radar was how empty the road was. Nowhere to turn off, no oncoming traffic, no stores. We managed to rationalize it by telling ourselves it was a real mountain road with lots of curves and not much shoulder, but then we found a patch of road construction, all abandoned. The cones were out, bulldozers and backhoes in place, but no people. This was enough to get us talking about the emptiness. And it was with some relief that we finally spotted a gas station. At first, when we pulled in, it seemed like a standard, slightly run-down gas station you'd expect in an area like that. Getting out of the car, our collective sense of unease returned. There were other cars there, some old, some new, even some in the mechanics bay, which seemed to be in the midst of being worked on. Through the store window, we could see stock on all the shelves, but the doors were locked up tight. There were no people, no lights, and no answer when we pounded on the door. 
In frustration, we finally gave up and continued on arriving at our campground just as twilight was approaching. As we rolled in, we immediately noticed that it, too, was quiet. Overly quiet. But it was full. Campers, RVs, trailers, cars, tents, everything you would expect to see in a campground except for the people. The camp was in the shape of a zero, with the entrance and exit at the top and campers and tents spaced along the perimeter. As we looked, we noticed the pool looked to have been left full over the winter. The concrete was seriously cracked in several places, and there was standing water at the bottom, covered in leaves. It obviously hadn't been tended to in a while. None of this seemed like a great sign, so we began to look for other flaws. I noticed that the road hadn't been tended to either. The leaves were way too thick, and bizarrely, it looked like no one had ever driven over them in a long while. As we drove along, we left tracks down to the gravel, and if anyone else had been there since the leaves fell, they should have left the same. The only way to describe what we were experiencing was total desertion. To that end, I realized that all the vehicles present were also covered in leaves, hoods, windshields, tops, trunks. Some of the cars were old, a few old enough to be classic, but some were new as well. The same went for the campers and the tents, all covered by at least one autumn's worth of foliage, likely more. The place could not have been touched in months, minimum, but again, I'd have bet on longer. There were picnic tables with stoves set up to cook on, just left there with utensils out, buried in leaves, like the whole place was slowly being reclaimed by the forest. We tried yelling to get someone's attention and got no response. Our words seemed to hang in the air. We pulled up next to a camper with its door open and knocked on it. Then we yelled some more. No answer. Now, it was creepy. We headed back up to the entrance where the gift shop and front office was located and tried to make sense of all this. The front office was a cabin with a big welcome mat and a few cars parked out front. It was nearly dark as we pulled up to the drive through style window and looked inside, expecting to see someone appear. But no one did. The store was fully stocked with windows open, including this drive through one. But the only light came from an old-school jukebox sitting in the corner. My dad tried yelling for someone, and no answer came. He yelled louder, and that's when the damn jukebox kicked on, blaring Little Deuce Coop. It's still one of the creepiest things that ever happened to me. My father and I shared a very big nope and got out of there. We took the road all the way back out without passing another car or seeing another soul. All the equipment and road work was still there, as was the gas station, but there was no way we were going to stop. We went to the Yogi Campground and made camp there, happy to just settle in after the 16-hour drive. The next morning, that abandoned campground was all we talked about through breakfast. We had to know what that was all about, so we resolved to go find it again, this time in the full light of day and hopped in the car. I was the navigator, so I went to pull out the pamphlet from my little folder, and it was gone. My dad thought I'd just lost it, but I knew I had put it there the night before. He was upset, and we argued a little about whether or not I was being careless, but he was still so gung-ho to find the place that we decided to drive back to the rest stop and retrieve directions. So we drove all the way out there only to find that the damn pamphlet was nowhere to be found. Not like someone had taken them all. It was just a nice stop and the spots were all stocked. It just wasn't among them. No pamphlet. 
We tried to find the road again, but when we found the one we both agreed we had been down, it wasn't the same. It wasn't a winding mountain road. It went straight down about a mile to a dead end, with houses to either side. We assumed that we had been mistaken and taken the wrong road, so we drove all around looking for the right one. We looked for hours and couldn't find it. Perplexed, we drove into town and asked around, but no one had ever heard anything about it. We spent half the day looking for this place and never found a trace. To this day, I still cannot make sense of that trip or the campsite that we visited. So there you have it. That That is quite a story, quite a story. Is it ever? In a way, it reminds me a little bit of one of the more famous stories from Campfire, the uh, the, the roadhouse. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, and I don't want to go too much in depth to take, I don't want to take away from these stories, but a woman basically found herself almost in kind of this alternate reality. And there was a jukebox in that story too. <laughs> and I love the detail and it maps to things I've heard on Jim Harold's campfire um, that uh, basically uh, people encounter these places that are there and then they go back and they're not there or they're different in some substantial way. It's uh, a fascinating thing to me, and I think it speaks to the many layers of reality. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, Paul and I have talked about this in the past. You know, I had a, a, a story from when I was a kid where uh, you know, my mother, I believe it was after she had her C-section with my sister, she was having to stay in hospital for a couple extra days. And so we went to go see her one Sunday after breakfast. And my family, you know, they decided it was time to leave, but I asked if I could stick around a couple extra minutes. And, you know, they said, sure, fine. It was Revelstoke. There's two floors you can go to, basically. And uh, in the hospital. And so when I got in the elevator, I hit the button, the elevator went down. And when the doors opened, it looked like the lobby of the hospital, but it was this, the light was this blue color that I can't really properly describe. It was like everything was empty and nothing had been touched in years. Huh. I remember thinking like dust covers on things. It was almost like an empty office of some kind. And uh, the, I was really kind of scared. I didn't know what was happening. And then the door closed and then it opened behind me. And I remember my grandfather saying something to the effect of, oh, there you are. <laughs> you know, he kind of grabbed my arm and led me out and, you know, picked me up. And as we were leaving the hospital, I, I remember asking him, I, you know, I told him what I'd seen. I, and I asked him, you know, what, like, you know, I said I was scared. And he, he said, you know, when they built the hospital, they didn't have money to use. We don't, we can't afford to use the whole hospital. So we only use the front half. And I, I'm not kidding, Jim. I believed that until I was 20, 30, no, 30, 30 something. And then I, I, uh, I'd heard a story like this on uh, Micah's show, on Micah Hanks, um, back then it was a Graylian report. Mm -hmm. And I remembered what I'd experienced. So I got a hold of my mother who worked at the hospital and I said, and still does. And I said, Hey, uh, if the elevator opens on the ground floor at the back, what am I looking at? And she said, Oh, that's the, that's the hallway to the operating room. And she, so I asked her to describe it and she said, it's a very bright hallway. That's it. That's, that's all that would be there. So I told her what I just told you guys. She said, that's not possible. She said, there are three floors to the hospital. Um, the whole hospital's in use. Your grandfather wasn't, I think he was just telling you something <laughs> to keep it quiet. And, uh, <laughs> she said, the only thing that's not in use is the third floor. She said the third floor is storage, but she said the elevator does not go to the third floor. Hmm. So she had no idea what I saw. And years later, I, my wife paid for me to go see a psychic, and this is not something I ordinarily do, but Nikki was adamant. She wanted, she'd found the psychic she really liked. She wanted me to go. So we had to write down three questions or a series of questions. And so I just wrote down, 
what happened that day in the hospital. That's it. Didn't give her any background. And after my, after sort of me going down and kind of coming back, she said to me, well, your grandfather was here and he said, do you remember as a little boy when you used to drift between dimensions? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Which goes some distance towards explaining why I'm so weird, I guess. <laughs> hey, me too. Me too. <laughs> I, I wear as a badge of honor to be open to being mm. weird. Uh, because that means that, that means to me being open to the wonder of the universe and kind of understanding that we don't get it all. And stories like this hint that we are really missing a lot. And, and you know, they, they say that, uh, you know, uh, scientists these days are really buying into this idea of the many worlds mm. theory, uh, the yep. multiverse. So who's to say that there isn't a slightly different version of that campground or a slightly different version of that saloon or a slightly different version of that hospital. And sometimes through some accident of nature or whatever it is, we cross those boundaries and cross yeah. back. Yeah. I've often thought with stories like this, is there an alternate reality or another dimension or whatever, where there is a group of campers who were talking about that night, they heard spooky voices in a car driving up, but there was nothing there. And they have the opposite story to these two. Yep. Well, it reminds yes. me too, have, have you guys read the Stephen King short story or seen the TV movie, The Langoliers? Yes. I did not. So basically the story is that this plane lands at an airport and there's, there's no one there. There's no, there's no one around. They can't figure out what's happening. And they realize that they have somehow, because they were flying through a lightning storm, they've landed at a place that no longer exists. It's like a past version of the airport. Right. And they become aware of these things called the Langoliers and the Langoliers eat the past. Mm. So, you know, you, you can arrive at a place in a version of a place where everyone's moved on from it because the events that have happened there have gone. And the Langoliers kind of keep the balance by devouring that past in those past places. And, uh, it, of course it, it's just a Stephen King story, but every now and again, you know, I, I, he'll write something and I think, Dude, I think you're more dialed in than you think you are. Well, here's the thing. I mean, um, is it Jules Verne? I can't remember who wrote about a moon mission. Yes. Uh, you know, in the 1800s, and there were so many parallels yeah, first in the moon. to what actually happened. And, and uh, for example, talked about a ship made Columbia and the capsule, I think yeah. it was Columbia. And, and it was shot off from Florida and Jules Verne shot it off from Florida. Um, you know, something that happened decades and decades later. Same thing, supposedly, with the Titanic. You've sure. heard of the wreck of the yes. Titan, right? There was a short story that was written, I don't know, 10, 15 years before the, the Titanic actually sunk, and it was like point for point for point, and the name of the ship was mm. the Titan. So maybe people like Stephen King, Jules Verne, and whoever wrote Wreck of the Titan, um, maybe they're dialed into some kind of collective unconscious and they don't even realize it. And they're channeling things that are actually real, but they just think that they're really witty works mm -hmm. of fiction. I, I do sometimes wonder, you know, I think there's uh, that, that thin line between, you know, uh, the creative inspiration and, and channeling. I mean, I wouldn't, I would never say that anyone is intentionally doing it because I think that ends up with stuff like Ashtar of high command. But uh, I think when you're sometimes you're not trying, that's when you end up with, you know, 1900 yeah. or the last mm. president, which yeah. uh, I'm sh sure you gentlemen are familiar with. Yeah. And uh, for our listeners who don't know, that's a book by an, uh, an author named Ingersoll Lockwood from 1896. And that is, that's worth looking into. It's, uh, I know we're not going to get into it here. <laughs> is that the, the, the Baron Trump thing? 
Uh, he also wrote the Baron Trump book, so this isn't that. Um, okay. Yeah, he wrote he wrote a book about an election in uh, in, in nineteen hundred, which um, or sorry, in eighteen ninety six, which ended with a populist candidate winning, and uh, the when the election came around again, uh, things didn't go very well, and the capital was destroyed. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Funny you mentioned. Yeah. There are there are tons of examples across all kinds of media with these weird things. When you look back at them, there's there's one doing the rounds at the minute about a satirical cartoonist who worked here in the UK, who did a a series of sketches in 1919, basically showing someone doing normal everyday tasks, but their phone kept ringing in their pocket. Oh. It's fascinating. It's fa- and and many of the things that have been foretold, as we know in science fiction, have come to pass. You know, and and the question is, is it because people have read science fiction and they've been inspired to create mm. those things, or was the science fiction kind of foretelling yeah. it? I always think you know, this is a great reason why we need stuff like Star Trek, which is sort of positive speculative fiction, because I think you know so many people, guys who grew up on Star, sorry, men and women who grew up on Star Trek. They have come, they've gone into life and into the world as professionals to try and make some of the utopian technologies they saw in that show. And I think if you can make something that's aspirational, mm. it, it, it's hopeful for people and it encourages them to create, you know, hopeful things as opposed to, you know, the walking dead, which just brings <laughs> out the, the inner douchebag in all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Missing time at Yosemite. This all happened during a trip up to Half Dome in Yosemite National Park. Our party was made up of myself, my Uncle Ted, and my uncle's buddy Nate. Our campground was a 20-minute drive away from the trailhead. Since we had a 4 a.m. start ahead of us, by the time we arrived, got set up and ate, it was time to go to bed. Because this question often comes up when I tell this story, all of us are Christian, and none of us partake in drugs and alcohol. We don't judge anyone who does partake in such things, it's just not something we do. And so that is not an explanation for what I'm about to describe. Around 3.30 in the morning, I snapped wide awake as if awoken by something. The moon was unusually bright, and I remember thinking to myself, it all looked like a dream. I lay back in the hammock but couldn't go to sleep, and ended up waking Ted and Nate just before 4 a.m. Uncle Ted asked me, were you walking around earlier tonight? I told him I wasn't, and asked why. He said he had been woken up for some reason or another and could hear someone walking around. Definitely a person, not an animal. We ended up brushing it off and heading out on the trail, arriving at the trailhead parking lot just past 4.30. As we were unloading everything from the car, Nate said he had to use the bathroom, which were just before the trailhead, so I walked behind him a ways before deciding to fall back and wait for Uncle Ted, who had returned to the car for something he'd forgotten. The short, straight road from the parking lot runs directly into a T-intersection with the road to the trailhead, and the bathroom is through a field, directly across from the intersection. Ted and I finally arrived back at the intersection to wait for Nate to come out of the bathroom. We waited maybe ten minutes before I went in and checked. It was empty. I went back to Ted, who said, That's weird. Maybe he went back to the car or something. And we decided to wait a little more. By 5.10, we had started worrying, and Ted went back to check the car while I waited at the intersection to make sure we didn't miss him if he'd gone down the road away from the trailhead. He wasn't at the car, so we thought maybe he'd gone ahead of us, for some reason. We went up to the trailhead and walked a ways ahead, but didn't find him there either. We were baffled 
because there were no other logical places he could have gone. I decided to run back and check the car and bathroom one more time, and that's when I met him, halfway to the intersection. Nate was sweaty and disheveled, with a weird look in his eyes. I asked where he'd been, and he said he'd gone to the bathroom, but when he got back to the intersection, we weren't there, so we, he assumed we had gone to the trailhead and started walking. He was about to do the same when he ran into me. I was confused and told him we waited at the intersection for over half an hour and checked the car, bathroom, trailhead. You weren't there. Nate just kept staring at me, finally saying, well, I don't know. I went to the bathroom. He then asked me where my uncle was, and when I told him the trailhead, he asked me again. It was weird. As we were crossing the bridge to the trailhead, he saw a light off on the riverbank and said, oh, maybe that's Ted. It was like he wasn't thinking straight. I just looked at him and kept walking. Finally, we got on with the hike, and it was normal, except that we seemed to keep losing things, such as Uncle Ted's small red flashlight, a glove, a water bottle, and so on. It was like we simply forgot about the items, and then couldn't remember where we left them. On the way back, it got dark enough for us to turn on our flashlights, and as we neared the end of the hike after the two waterfalls, it really started to seem like we'd been walking for too long. Ted confirmed this, asking me, doesn't it seem like it's taking way longer to get back? I agreed, and we kept walking, but it still seemed as though we weren't making any progress. I've been on that trail many times, and as I was walking, I couldn't spot any familiar landmarks. Weirder still, there was this odd feeling in the air, a slight sense of menace. It's hard to describe. I remember thinking, it feels like the woods are alive. We remarked three more times about how long the hike was taking, and began to laugh at the whole situation because it just felt so ridiculous. A bit later, we finally, and suddenly, found ourselves on the final stretch and made it back to the car. Once we'd gotten back to the car, the sense of weirdness vanished, and we almost seemed to forget about it. It was only after getting home that I truly realized how weird those events had been. Shortly after that, we were having post-camping sodas when my aunt, not Ted's wife, asked us if we'd been out in the woods. We said we had, and she said that she'd had an odd dream where she saw Ted in a tent in a forest somewhere and outside his tent was a stranger. She said she couldn't see who it was, but knew there was a presence there, and when she woke up around three, she had the strong urge to pray for him, which she did. Hmm, how strange. Again, I think that's that liminal space that we just talked about, you know, kind of entering into a, just a place that's not quite here and not quite there, and, and in some cases seems to exact a bit of a toll, because the uncle sounds really messed up. The fear is, what if you, and does this happen to people, what if you go in that liminal space, that alternate dimension, whatever it might be, and you don't come out? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do think that happens. There's that story from David Politis from Missing 411 yeah. from, I want to say from, Denver, from Colorado, where they actually heard the guy calling for help, but they just couldn't figure out where he was calling from. It was like he mm -hmm. was right there, but they, they couldn't find him. And that is, that is chilling stuff. There's a lot, to, lot of parallels with the old adage of being fairy-led as well there, where things don't seem to make sense, and you start behaving oddly, and you're not sure why, and everything just feels a bit odd. So they, you're there, but you're not. I was thinking that with a light leading away. Like, that seemed, mm. that seemed very, very, you know, sort of the, the will of the wisp. Yeah. When we talk about fairies and things, people get this idea of Tinkerbell in their head, but <laughs> oh, no. fairies can be far, far, uh, a little more sinister than that. Yeah, especially in the UK. 
<laughs> Those British fairies, even <laughs> Yeah, the Scottish especially are uh, are renowned for being uh, rather naughty. I think is the nicest way I can describe them. I'm not touching this with a ten foot pole. <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing is, though, is I think in America, particularly because we're so brainwashed by Walt Disney. Don't sue me, Disney. Yes, but we think of fairies <laughs> as Tinkerbell, and uh, I think people in the British Isles have a lot more kind of accurate conception of what fairies are. We've kind of, we've kind of cartoonized them here in the States, I think. Hmm. I think, because I've, I've done a couple of episodes where we've been talking about fairy lore and myth. And it is very interesting when I speak to people, they have that exact same opinion, Jim, that there seems to be a, a entertainment version of it. And then there's the folklore version of it. And they're completely different things these days. Yeah. And, and I mean, we've had mixed luck on this subject, which is why I'm being cagey, uh, because we have done we, a long time ago, we did an episode, episode 27, and uh, that was exclusively focused on, on the good folk. And I was very incautious with my speech, Jim, and we had electronic difficulties like we've never had before. And every time this subject has come up, uh, I, I have been brutalized basically into respect. And so I am, <laughs> I've had problems with my voice on episodes themed this way. We've had, again, electronic interference like you cannot possibly imagine. And so I, I'm very I'm very cagey on the subject of, of the good folk. And as I said, very respectful. I will drop it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nobody did as good as me, though, Brennan. Oh, no. We, well, we, Paul, yeah, Paul ended up in the hospital with an old-timey disease. Oh, man. Yeah, I got a disease called Quincy after doing my first oh, episode my. about fairies. Wow. That's like something people in the 1800s have. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, when I turned up at the hospital, they were bringing in junior doctors and nurses to come and see me because they'd never had a patient in that they'd seen. Wow. Um, so they were just bringing them in to say, this is what Quincy looks like. <laughs> You've got the Quincy. But, um, yeah. I, and I, Brennan, I, I, I won't push it because I don't want to tempt fate, but, but I have a similar um, kind of... Uh, concern when we talk about the gin. And, oh, interesting. Uh, so I'm a little leery when I talk about the gin. And, and we've already got two strikes against us, to use an American metaphor, because <laughs> I, I'm using a new piece of equipment that I'm only half uh, convinced is recording. So, uh, <laughs> so we, don't, we don't necessarily need any help in uh, destroying this recording. This is yeah, very yeah. true. I, I did want to say, though, <laughs> setting aside our, this minefield that we find ourselves gingerly picking our way through, the story of the moon that this person recounted as they first woke up, they said it was, it was almost too, it was so bright. It was like a dream. And I was, mm. while we were chatting, I was trying to dig through my phone to find this message. I could not find it. And I believe that it was lost when I changed phones recently. But my, uh, my cousin messaged me recently to say that he had had a really rough night the night before he had, for some reason, he could not sleep in his bedroom. He just couldn't sleep in his bedroom. So he got up, tried not to disturb his partner went out into the living room, lay on the couch, but he said the moon was so bright, it kept shining in his eyes and it, he mm. couldn't sleep. And mm. now I said to him, how, tell me how this works because where the couch is in his house, there are no direct windows onto it. And he said, oh, it was shining through the, there's a small window in the door. And I said, really? So the moon was shining. Now your, his house is literally set back from the street in the ground. So it's, it's lower than it should be. There's an overhang in front of the door and there's trees. There is no way on God's green earth, the moon shone through his window, let alone brightly enough to keep him awake. 
But that's what he remembers from that night. He remembers feeling like he wasn't alone, and he remembers the sensation that the moon kept shining so brightly in his face that he could not sleep. No matter where he turned, there was the moon. I'm not a moonologist, but I don't think that's how the moon works. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think yeah. that something visited him that night. But I think that, you know, we were talking about screen memories. I think he sort of adjusted his way of remembering it just so that he doesn't have to deal with it full stop. Interesting. And uh, one, one last thing I wanted to, and this is, I mean, I, I suppose I should save this for our, uh, our greatest hits episode coming up, but, you know, the, in the, the capper to the story, the aunt tells, uh, you know, how she saw, had this dream that there was someone camping next to or outside mm -hmm. the uncle's tent. Well, a long-time listeners to the show will know the story of when I went back to Revelstoke and a friend of mine decided to go to a neighboring town to see a drive-in movie. The road behind us was closed by mudslides. So we had to, we, and the hotels cranked up the prices. So we had to sleep in the car that night after the movies. And we ended up driving around the back roads of this rural area, trying to find a place to put up for the night. And we didn't want to park in town because we didn't want cops banging on a window at three in the morning, telling us to move along. So we ended up in this back road out in the field. There was a circle of stones behind a post office box parked in there. And my friend nodded off. She has no sensitivity whatsoever. She nodded off immediately, but we were surrounded by fog. And the only thing I mm. could see was this intermittent blue light off in the direction of a farmhouse kind of blinking on and off. I could not sleep until I did that sort of mentally imagining protecting yourself. You know, you sort of imagine like a barrier between yourself and the world. Yeah. I drifted off to sleep. Well, that night, uh, the night, pardon me, the next morning I was talking to my wife and I said, oh yeah, no, I had a great night sleeping in the car. I hope you uh, slept a hell of a lot better than I did. And she said, I didn't because I woke up around three in the morning and all I could see behind my eyes when I, every time I closed my eyes were rotating lines of crosses, huh. these glittering multicolored rotating lines of crosses. And I said, well, that's funny because we slept in the car, a stone's throw from a burial ground. And I had joked to my friend that we should go sleep in the burial ground. And she said, no, you can go roll your hoop. And, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we had, we had slept in a near a cemetery and had this very, very unusual experience. So again, just a, one of those little coincidences that you can't quite link up, but at the same time, it's hard to dismiss. And, and I must say, I must comment on this. I, I love, I love that saying, you can go roll your hoop. I've never heard that before. That's fantastic. Really? You've never heard that? <laughs> I, is it a Canadianism? I thought it was an American phrase. Uh, no, I, I mean, no, it's, it's I, certainly it's, not British. It's from, a, I think, a time long before when kids <laughs> had hoops to roll for entertainment. Yeah, I mean, most, most people now, I remember in grade school, we had hoops and you had sticks that you could roll them with. Ordinarily, I am perhaps, you know, this, I would use a little more colorful language, but I'm aware that some of your audience may come over here and I don't want to uh, shock them <laughs> with, uh, with my, my version of the English language. <laughs> I have to use that one. You can go roll your hoop. I like it. All right, we're going to take a quick break to pay the bills, but we'll be right back. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The Silence This story takes place in May 2016, when I went camping with my then-boyfriend Derek and another couple. We drove down to Point Lookout State Park at the southernmost tip of Maryland. It was a rather large campground with three separate loops of campsites. Two of them were located in a more wooded area, while our loop was directly on the water. Our loop was also less crowded. We only had one single tent for a neighbour. I should mention that the Point Lookout is a very flat piece of land on the Chepasique Bay, much of it marshland. There is also a neat old lighthouse, a very short drive from the loop. Anyway, I didn't look up anything about the area before going. I was just happy to have a little vacation, as I was going through a hard time in my life. We pitched camp directly on the water, but far enough from the road not to be seen by other people, with a curtain of tall grass guarding the view from anyone else. Basically, the perfect spot to drink and smoke up without being bothered. This was actually my first time camping, and Derek wasn't much of an outdoorsman either, so he pitched a pretty pathetic loose tent. We walked around for a bit, through the camping loops and along the shoreline. The whole area gave me a slightly weird feeling that I can't describe, like a solemn silence that also felt very heavy, if that makes sense. At one point, I broke off from the group to use the bathroom facility, and as I was walking along the trail, I saw a large, and I mean huge terrapin tortoise walking across the path directly in front of me. As it walked, it kind of made eye contact with me, and didn't break it. It wasn't a terribly strange experience, but like everything else, it just felt off. When I came out of the bathroom, the tortoise was gone, even though it had been walking slowly. I mean, it's a tortoise. Where could it have gone? Aside from a brutal wind blowing through the park, the first night was uneventful. As I said, the park is located on very flat land right next to the bay, so this wasn't necessarily a surprise. Unfortunately, since I pitched the most mediocre and loose tent, it blew around all night and felt like it was going to lift from the ground and take us with it. Needless to say, I did not get much sleep that night. The second day, we decided to explore the old lighthouse. It was their spring season so they had open tours for a few hours during the day. There was a tour guide who gave the history of the house and gave some really cool facts about it. One thing the guide seemed to breeze right over, but it stuck with me, was that the man who built the house, along with the next two owners, 
died very shortly after living in the house. The guy treated that little fact like it was nothing. We continued to hike, drink and smoke, all proper camping shenanigans, and having a great time. Eventually, it was time to go to bed, and this is where things get strange. This night was not windy at all. In fact, it was dead silent and not a comforting one, but the eerie kind that puts you on edge. Despite this, my fatigue from the previous night meant I crashed out hard. Not long after I'd sunken into a deep sleep, Derek woke me up, looking concerned. Babe, did you hear that? No, I was asleep. What happened? He replied. I heard someone yell, Hey! Outside our tent. I think there's a man outside. I didn't think much of it at first. I thought it was just the other couple talking to each other, since their tent was pretty much right next to ours. But then, I heard our friends snoring so loudly, other loops could probably hear them, which meant they were fast asleep, and obviously not talking to each other, or us. I was still sceptical that Derek had heard anything, as we'd been drinking and smoking all night, and I thought it could have just been paranoia. That is, until I heard the footsteps. Circling around our tent was the sound of heavy boots crunching in gravel. The steps had a little clanking sound, like whoever it was was wearing old-time steel boots. This was not paranoia. The mesh window of our tent was open, and we could see outside around us. We watched above and around us, following the sound of the footsteps with our eyes. We never saw a single person. I got chills until the sound made its way back down the path and eventually disappeared. Derek and I looked at each other. We left the next day as planned and we told our friends what had happened. They were fast asleep and didn't hear anything they said. Not surprising, those two could sleep through a tornado. This is where it all comes together. When I got home I decided to research the park and suddenly everything made sense. Point Lookout was once a Civil War prisoner camp where terrible conditions cost the lives of over 4,000 Confederate prisoners, all of whom were buried around the park. According to legend, ghost sightings were abundant, with many stating that they'd heard or seen prison guards patrolling the area, and even questioning some of the guests. I was convinced that that's what we experienced that night. The sound of heavy boots and the loud hey seemed to match the other descriptions. There are also stories of people seeing a woman walking along the shore of the beach. Supposedly she comes up and asks people where her headstone is, and if they can help her find it. Turns out that there was a woman buried in a nearby cemetery, whose headstone was in fact stolen. It was found in a hotel in Washington DC some 50 years later, and was never put back. I can only assume that she is going to walk the shoreline until they do put it back. I have to know. What the hell they do with the tombstone? <laughs> <laughs> you just find a tombstone in a hotel room and you well have gone in the lost and found. That's there are some many and varied things found in hotel rooms over the years. I, I get that, but I just think tombstones. This had to come. From, this isn't like an iPod. This you know, there, there's only right. one place this goes. It, it's not like the the tombstone fell out behind the bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, not like my friends who found the cat turds behind their bed in the uh, Best Western. No, this is this is substantially larger. You can't push this other uh, way hey, with a vacuum. Free cat excrement. <laughs> they should charge more for that. Weekends only. Weekends only. 
Well, we're, at, we're, we're putting more on your room now, sir. You got the premium package. Yeah. I know the ladies on Morbid did a, an episode about one particularly unsavory character, and um, he stole a, like a massive signpost, like an enormous like six foot by six foot sign. Right. And he was stopping in a hotel room and the police came to find him and he'd, he'd absconded. But they'd got this enormous, <laughs> left this enormous <laughs> sign in his hotel room. They were like, well, why has he stolen it? Nobody ever found out why he'd taken it. it. He never mentioned it and it made no sense to anybody. Because it was there. <laughs> I was just going to say, as someone who used to drink, Paul, you know, <laughs> and, and lived in a small town where, you know, destroying signage was something to do in the evening. Yes. I had... But my friend, my friend may have had signs in his apartment, such as stop, don't yes. walk, walk. Yes. Why did he have them? Well, because they were there. Yes. I once, I once woke up uh, when I was living in Sheffield, when I was cohabiting, to be surrounded by uh, emergency lighting that someone had taken off some road work, <laughs> just flashing. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> just a slight paranormal detour. Are you guys familiar with Jot? I am not. It's called Just One of Those Things. It was a book written by Mary Rose Barrington, I believe. And she just passed, uh, I think, a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. And it's a real shame. She was elderly. I believe she was a member, an important member of the Society for Psychical Research yeah. over in the UK. But she talked about this thing where things go missing. You know, it's kind of like the old thing where, like, uh, you know, you, you put your car keys on your mm -hmm. nightstand and then they end up. Uh, in the ice cube tray in your refrigerator, in your freezer, yes. that kind of thing, which, and she said, in some cases, there's a paranormal explanation to that. Mm. And the shame of it is I feel really badly because I had had her uh, on our shows pre pandemic and we talked about it and I got a slew of campfire calls about people who had things just turn up in places that made absolutely no sense. Mm. And I talked about jot and now on the show, it's like a thing like Jim, I've had a jot. Yeah. And I feel so badly because I can't, you know, I can't say, hey, you know, I, I wasn't close with her. We interviewed one time, talked for about a half hour. But I wish I could say our listeners are really intrigued by this concept and it resonates with them and it happens to them. Just one of those things, Jot. Mm, I'm going to remember that. You're going to have roll your hoop. I'm going to borrow Jot. There you go. <laughs> Fair trade. <laughs> And uh, Paul, one last thing, I figure if anyone's going to know this, uh, unless Jim, you may also know animals as well. I know Jack shit about the parent, about the natural world. <laughs> no pressure. It, are a tortoise and a terrapin not different things? Now, this all depends where you are in the world. Okay. Because different places, turtle, tortoise, terrapin are interchangeable for some people in certain countries. Whereas here in the UK, a tortoise is entirely based on land. A terrapin lives in fresh water, whereas a turtle lives in a marine environment, fresh or seawater. But some people call terrapin tortoises, and there are types of tortoises known as terrapin tortoises. Um, <laughs> but oh, neither of those confusing. are turtles. So, and, and, and if you're in the United States, it's kind of like this. It's like, what the hell's a terrapin and a tortoise? I see that turtle <laughs> over there. What's that other stuff? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I, was, I was wondering because we had that story last episode on the Strange Animal Show mm. about, a, about a, a turtle, like a really big turtle that appeared in a house which, where it had no right being. And mm. I was wondering if there was any kind of similarity here, right? Because, you know, this thing appears to be completely out of place. And they say it's really big, but they don't really specify because I, I had a look and 
Like there's a difference between, you know, big ass giant turtle with kind of like a Mayan temple on its back <laughs> and just like a kind of a big terrapin because apparently the biggest terrapin is nine inches. Well, tortoises can can grow to enormous sizes. Obviously, the largest is on, on the Galapagos Islands. Um, and, and, and a species that was thought extinct has been confirmed as being rediscovered after 100 years the other, really? other week. Yeah. Um, so um, they are, and obviously certain turtles can grow to enormous sizes. So the terrapins are sort of the baby of that particular branch of, uh, of that taxonomy. Plus, I was talking with uh, Max Hawthorne recently, who was telling me about a uh, giant turtle sighting off the coast of Newfoundland. Really? Yeah, like a bigger than a boat sized turtle. Oh, Jesus. I would be amazing. I love giant tortoises. When I, when I went to the Bristol Zoo with Nick years ago, <laughs> I just, they have a huge one there. And I just sat there for like an hour and just watched him. I, I am just fascinated by these creatures. Yeah. And they have very lengthy lifespans. That's my understanding. Yeah, well, we, I'm not sure if he's still alive, but the tortoise that was with Darwin on the Beagle uh, was still in a zoo until about, I'm trying to think if it was, and that was thought to be at least 150 years old. Holy well, it's, man. It's, it's funny, I, uh, one of my coworkers, uh, I think when he was first married, like in 1971 or something, bought uh, a small turtle for like 25 cents. Mm. And bought it at a, a, a shopping a place. I think the name of it was Kresge's. So the funny thing is, is that that, tor that turtle lived until maybe two or three years ago. And it actually outlived the chain it was purchased from, which it had been, that huh. chain had been in business like for a hundred years of the progenitor of Kmart, which is also, you know, no longer. But, but the point being that the, the 25 cent turtle outlasted this like storied American chain of stores and, and survived for, you know, four or five decades, whatever it was. There's a great metaphor there. There you go. Uh, and the tortoise was Harriet, Paul. Uh, Harriet was with Darwin. Uh, she died in 2006 at roughly 175 or 176. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think um, Steve Irwin looked after it, didn't he, towards the end? Uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't go that far into the article, but it's very possible. It just reminds me, with it being called Harriet, I'm sure she was living in Australia at that point. She I was think indeed. She the better weather. And uh, it's in, in, uh, in famous tortoise news, um, also, <laughs> those of us who remember the Rocky film, uh, yes. Cuff and Link, Rocky has two turtles, and I, they are still alive as well in the care of, of Mr. Stallone himself. So, a little, <laughs> little bit of happy news to end on there. <laughs> the next story, uh, this sounds intriguing. It's called The Tone. I had an interesting experience while camping with my husband a couple weeks ago. It was a nice drive to the campsite, a corner spot next to one other campsite, and woods on the other three sides. We had a nice day hiking, cooked some fajitas and s'mores over the fire, and then we settled into our tent to sleep. Later that night, I woke up and heard a weird noise. It sounded kind of like an electronic tone, similar to an emergency broadcast alert. Then I heard what sounded like people talking right outside of the tent saying things like, they better get out of that tent. I saw a possum go in there. Thinking that there must be other campers walking around, I turned over and tried to go back to sleep. A couple minutes later, I heard the strange tone again, and then what sounded like a cat meowing and walking around the tent. It sounded like my cat when he wants to be let into the house. I'm not about to let strange animals into my tent, so I just lay there, and it stopped after about a minute. 
A couple of minutes later, I heard the tone once again. Then I heard a lower, gravelly voice talking outside the tent. It said, they better get out of there before I get them. All of this happened over the course of maybe 10 minutes. I didn't react as strongly as I probably should have, but I was tired and thought at first it might be some kind of dream. My husband got up and left the tent to use the bathroom a little while later. He hadn't heard anything, and I didn't hear anything else after that. The next morning, while eating breakfast, I could hear the neighboring campers talking. One of their children, who was around five or six years old, was upset with his brother because they had heard someone telling them to get out of the camper last night, and now his brother was denying that he had heard anything. What a fascinating story. And the experiencer went on to say, I'm not exactly sure what happened that night, but it was truly bizarre. That reminds me, you know, we've had stories where people in kind of like, again, that sort of uh, hypnagogic period where they're waking up and they'll hear voices talking sometimes about them or about situations. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's something I, you know, uh, guys, I wonder if it sounded something like that. You know, that voice, maybe it sounded like this. They better get out of here before I get them. <laughs> is that what it sounded like i hope so i genuinely hope little, so it'd be a little more intimidating than if it sounded like this they better get out of there before i get them i'm actually more scared of that jim i, I am <laughs> genuinely afraid of that one <sighs> it reminds me um, i remember listening to uh, one of art bell's ghost to ghost episodes that he had a woman came on saying about a, a voice she could hear and then with no warning at all he just went did it sound like this but that is, you know that that remind you know what that reminds me of that story the black-eyed kids yeah oh yeah because it's course. like enticing them to it but it's kind of the inverse right instead of wanting to get in they want them to come out Mm. Yeah. But then again, you've got that as well with our, our good friends, the Fae, again, being led out and people being in certain situations. And I know Brennan had an experience where you heard a strange voice trying to get you to go somewhere that you shouldn't have. Did I? When you parked Come the car. On, Brennan. Brennan. Come on, Brennan. Didn't you park up by a road with a friend and you could hear a voice in the wood? And then you realized it was he wasn't there. He was oh, next to the car. Yeah, yeah, that was in the California redwoods. Uh, that was day. That was middle of the day. Uh, we parked by the side of the road. We'd never been through the redwoods before. We were on one hundred and one, just I think just south of uh, of Crescent City, and we we're taking pictures. My friend had been in a car accident, a really serious one, about a month and a half before. So he could drive, but he could not do anything strenuous. And uh, I went down the road to take some pictures, and he went up the road to take some pictures. And then I went back to the car and I realized that he wasn't there. I couldn't find him. And so I started calling his name saying, you know, where, where the hell are you? And, uh, finally I hear a voice from the forest floor going, yeah, I'm, I'm out here. And I said, what in God's name are you doing out there? Cause it was about a 10 foot slope to the forest floor. And again, with his having had abdominal surgery in the last month, this is not something you should be doing, climbing things. And, uh, finally I said, you know, get the hell back up here, you clown. And, uh, cause even if he hadn't been in surgery, we're useless in the woods. We are creatures of the city. You know, we, we are walking, we're walking targets out there. <laughs> and, uh, he comes back to the truck, to the car rather. And he said, well, 
I heard you're calling me. It sounded like you were calling me from the woods. And I said, no, no, I was calling you, but you know, and, and we kind of laughed it off and went, oh, ho, 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 just the trick of the echo. But years later, I was reading, again, I was reading Missing 411 about Mount Shasta. And mm. all of a sudden it occurred to me, he went down to the forest floor looking for me. I, I didn't start calling his name until after he was gone because I couldn't find him. So what the hell was calling him in my voice from the forest? Huh. And that, yeah, that's, that, I, yeah, that's, that's one I remember now. And that was, I, I, that one, yeah, he heard it. I didn't hear it, but, um, weird, weird stuff. And we never really did. Cause again, by the time I sort of came back around to it, he and I weren't talking very much. So we have never really had a chance to kind of do a postmortem on it, but it, it was strange. Yeah. That's, that's odd. An audio doppelganger. And I've heard mm -hmm. that before. It's, it's it, the, the whole doppelganger thing. And right now we're going to get into that a little bit later, but uh, that's, uh, that's just a weird phenomenon. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it. it the, the whole mimicry thing. It's genuinely upsetting because it's like, it, it, it just shows you that there's very little that you can hang your hat on. You know, there just, it lends this uncertainty to everything mm. uh, when you're dealing with these kind of precarious situations. And it, yeah, it, like I told you, Paul, there was that one time Nick called me into the bedroom because she was asking, she wanted me to grab, bring her some, uh, some ibuprofen for a headache. But she called me into the bedroom. It was pitch black. I said, uh, close your eyes. Why? Just do it. So she did. I turned on the light. I'm like, okay, there you are. I have to be able to see you because just some voice calling at me from the darkness. I've seen too many horror movies. I do a ghost show, lady. I'm not walking in there. I have pissed off creatures which you cannot see. I'm not wandering into a dark room where something's calling my name. One more ad break, then we'll get back to our final story. Don't forget, patrons of Ghost Story Guys from $1 and up don't have to listen to ads. If you can't afford that, though, that's cool. I understand it, and I hope the ads are something interesting. Our listener Katie wrote in recently to let me know that uh, she got subway and some kind of trampoline thing. So I hope you get something cool too. Guys, this is one of my favorite topics out of Doppelganger. Specifically, this storyteller has the screaming doppelganger. This is an experience that occurred a few years back in April. My mother is a traveling nurse and often gets assignments in Alaska and other less populated states. So I usually travel three to four times a year to go see her. This was my first time going to see her in Alaska, where she was staying in Fairbanks for three months. While she was at work, I would take her rental car so I could explore Fairbanks in the neighboring areas and towns. Now, one particular day, I decided to make the long day trip to Denali State Park via Alaska Highway 3, or Parks Highway as it's often called. It is a long, winding, stretching road connecting Fairbanks to the outskirts of Anchorage. That's Alaska's largest city. Now, along the highway from Fairbanks to Denali State Park, you pass through three or four towns, the largest of which only has a population of 365. Once you're out of Fairbanks, things get really lonely. I remember once driving 40 to 50 miles without passing a car. You sort of get mesmerized by the beauty of the landscape, the snowy, icy mountains surrounding you, and you forget that you're in the middle of nowhere, where cell service, well, it's spotty at best. That particular day was a weekday, an off-tour season in Alaska, so most of the vehicles I passed were logging trucks or semi-trucks, with the occasional regular motorist. Since it was early April, there was still heavy pack snow on both sides of the road and in the forest, but the roads were completely clear. 
From Fairbanks to Denali National Park is maybe a four to five hour drive depending on road conditions. My main goal was to see Mount McKinley, the tallest mountain in North America. There is a road that leads into the park where you can see a view of Mount McKinley, but I had passed it, not knowing whether the road conditions were good. I'd looked on Google Maps and it showed there was something like a scenic view or overlook across from Byers Lake Campground, and I assumed you might be able to see Mount McKinley from there. The campground appeared to be closed and desolate, but there were no gates or anything to stop me entering the area. It was at this point that I completely lost all cell reception, and consequently the GPS on my phone, well, it stopped working too. As I pulled into the campground area, there was probably 16 to 24 inches of snow on some of the roads there, and some of them had been plowed, so I assumed there had to be people visiting, but there were no cars or anyone in sight. Now, for the entire four-plus hours I'd been driving, not once did I have any uneasy or bad feeling or vibes. And usually when I'm in desolate areas, especially the desert, I have really bad vibes. But it wasn't like that in Alaska for some reason. But everything changed about 30 seconds into entering the campground area. Maybe it was the fact that I was turning into some abandoned campground, or the fact that I completely lost cell reception, but something didn't sit quite right with me. But I was determined to see Mount McKinley, so I tried to focus on finding a good place to take some cool pictures. I drove down the campground's winding roads, hitting a bunch of dead ends before it suddenly started to get really cloudy. I was getting more frustrated at not finding an area to take some pictures and then realized I was lost. It's not far at all from the main highway, but I was still lost and so I started to panic a little. I made my way down a dirt road to the lake where there was a large opening. My bad feelings went away temporarily because the view was beautiful. The lake was completely frozen and behind it in the background was a small snowy mountain. The scene was just something straight out of a National Geographic magazine, so I stepped out to take some pictures. I stood there for a few minutes, admiring the beauty of the Alaskan wilderness, and was looking at my pictures to see if they were good when I heard a scream. It was a close scream, but it sounded muffled, almost like something was able to control the volume of their voice to make it seem far away, where in reality, it was close. My heart started racing as I looked around to try to figure out what it was. Everything in my body was telling me to book it for the car and find the way out, but I just stood there confused and kind of scared. I felt like I was being watched and all the hairs stood up on my arm. I was wondering if it was a bobcat or mountain lion because they're often mistaken for women screaming. Then I looked out on the far side of the lake and saw a person wearing a light orange jacket and jeans with a green beanie on their head. I waved at them, and they waved back immediately. Then this overwhelming feeling of dread and terror entered my body. I was wearing a light orange jacket, jeans, and a green beanie. The person also had brown skin like me. I couldn't make out facial figures, but I felt like I could see black hair sticking out of their beanie. And that's the color of my hair. I stood there for a few seconds, frozen in shock and fear, and then I noped out of there. I hangtailed it up the hill to my car and basically did a donut in the snow, spinning tires trying to get out of there. Panic rose in me as I was trying to find the exit, but then I saw a sign that was almost completely covered in snow. 
It had an arrow pointing to the left, and I came out to the first part of the campground. It was a bathroom facility and office, and had a veteran's memorial statue. There was a white owl perched on top of it, staring at me with its head sideways, as if it was bending over. I found the way out and sped the entire way back to Fairbanks, checking my rearview mirror every ten seconds. I really don't know what to make of the situation. As I entered civilization, I calmed back down and didn't really have any other weird experiences in Alaska or since then. I've considered the thought of it being a skinwalker or an aswang, which is a shapeshifter in Filipino folklore. One of my friends said I may have avoided becoming a missing 411 case, which wouldn't surprise me because there have been many such cases in Alaska. Wowzers, what a story. No mm. kidding. Get another vote for avoiding the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Keep me on the cement if that's what yeah. I'm going to encounter. But I, just, the, the, just the realization when you're waving back at yourself. We had a story very similar on campfire, I just want a slight digression and tell you this story real quickly, if it's okay, because it reminds me. A woman working at a Cleveland area hospital, a large hospital here in our area, and um, she had a patient. Uh, she was a nurse, and uh, she's working with a patient. And uh, in the morning, uh, she has to transport him somewhere. So she goes in with the hospital bed and the patient, and she's transporting uh, this person, she looks up, she's in like a freight elevator, the big elevators that they can fit hospital beds in. She looks across, there's a regular elevator, and she sees herself walk into the elevator with a group of people. Oh. Fast forward to that afternoon. It's been a long day. This weird thing happened with the elevator where she thought she saw herself walk into an elevator. Very strange, very tired. She walks into the regular elevator with a bunch of people. She looks up. She sees a hospital bed. She sees a nurse transporting the hospital bread. The nurse is her. Oh. So she had it both ways. <laughs> so these things where you see, can you think of anything any more frightening? I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess if somebody's coming at you with a chainsaw, that might be a little more frightening. <laughs> but, yeah, fair. But, but again, it's pretty high up there. Well, that's it, you know, because it, it just causes you to question so many things, you know, like our sense of self is so sacrosanct, right? Like this is, this is how I am. I am me. And you know, if someone, something that looks like you is out there, if it starts causing havoc, what proof do you have? You know, yeah, what, what, that's what, no, true. That's a good point. Never thought of that. It wasn't me. Well, Bren, it sure smelled like you. And he suddenly dropped a lot of four letter words that we don't want our kids <laughs> hearing. So it's you. And this CCTV footage we have, it sure looks like you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That story almost sounds like a, like a time slip in a way, the one you're, what you're describing kind of sounds like, yeah, like a breakdown yeah. in the way things yeah, work. Both ways. Yeah. It, it was really wild. And before we wrap it up, I wanted to say there was actually a, speaking of synchronicities, there was a really interesting one surrounding this story. So a friend of the show, Brett Manning, I was cruising through Instagram and I happened to come across her stuff. And of course, Brett is a fabulous artist. Her, uh, her book, One Foot in the Green is available, is available for pre-order now. You'll find a link in the show notes. Make sure to check it out. I've certainly pre-ordered my copy. But um, Brett posted a dream, uh, in, on her Instagram stories a dream she'd had. And now, I, unfortunately, I didn't think to screen cap it because I feel weird screen capping people's stories. But I sent her a message. And that dream, she had that the same night I put the script together. And that dream involved a white owl, snow on the ground, and the sort of woodland-esque doppelgangers of her and her husband coming out of the forest towards them. Oh. 
Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, guys, I've got the I've got the topper of synchronicities for you. <laughs> Fantastic. I was sitting here minding my own business. Pops up, you've got an email. I'll admit I looked. <laughs> Doppelganger story for Campfire, I kid you not. Seven <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> Is the oh, universe man. trying to tell us something or what? It's trying to tell us you're hired, Jim. There's three of us now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Jim, we uh, we have had so much fun with you here, and we we know we, you know, we've got we've got you for a limited amount of time, so... We just want to say thank you so much for, for taking the time for being here. This was a blast. And before we go, uh, where can everyone find you? What's, do you have a call to action? Anything you want, to, uh, you want people to come find? Well, basically, I think the show that most people will be interested in, the free episodes, Jim Harold's Campfire. You can find it at jimherald.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you uh, use uh, to uh, listen to podcasts. Also, the Paranormal Podcast, where I interview authors and experts. Same thing goes there. But most people gravitate towards Jim Harold's Campfire, and I only use it. It's not to be egotistical, use the full name, but since I started, you can imagine there have been about 75 different campfire podcasts <laughs> no that have propped up. So I just want to make sure Jim Harold's campfire, that's me. And I hope that folks will uh, listen and, and maybe even come on the show and share their own stories. Well, make sure to check it out. Legends deserve to have their names on shit. John Carpenter's Halloween, <laughs> Jim Harold's campfire. I'll take it. Thank you, guys. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Jim. It's been a load of fun. Thank you. And... Stay spooky. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. 
and no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks again to our guest, Jim Harold, host of the Paramount Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire. Again, I don't got to tell you who the guy is, but uh, <laughs> just in case, I got I, I feel I just I should say it is, is what I feel like I should do. And Jim was a consummate professional. We had so much fun with that guy. I was nervous as hell, Paul. I don't mind telling you. And it all worked out just fine. Finally, being in the presence of Jim was, was a real honor and a load of fun. So uh, let's hold him to his promise to come back at some point. Absolutely. Write, him, write Jim and say, we want you to come back to the Ghost Story Guys for another episode. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was brilliant. And of course, thanks to the rest of the Ghost Story Guys team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, Sarah Kent, and Joseph Camo. Luke, of course, host of the Luke Lore Podcast. You can find that everywhere fine podcasts live. Actually, congratulations to Luke. He was just picked up by the Connected Podcast Network. Woo! So that, yeah, that is very exciting. And you can find that everywhere fine podcasts live. His latest episode was Hail Midsummer. And it was about the, the folklore of Vletha or Midsummer, and very fascinating stuff. And the next episode should be out, if not by the time you hear this, very, very soon after. And of course, Joseph Camo, host of the YouTube show In Search of Ghosts and the YouTube live stream Weird Together. That's a show that Joseph and I both co-host. We talk about uh, the latest and greatest in horror movies. That is a live stream on the Ghost Story Guys YouTube channel. And patrons actually get the audio version as well. So thanks to all those guys. And of course, the biggest thank you, as always, to my friend and co-host, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, <laughs> Paul Bestel, host of Mysteries and Monsters. What's coming up on Eminem, Paul? Well, currently, whilst this episode is hitting the airwaves, I will be diving into crystal skulls and ancient archaeology with archaeologist, author, and musician Mark Olley. And then I've also got the returning W.T. Watson diving into Canadian monsters and mysteries. So some scary stories from your neck of the woods coming up on there. thought I felt my ears ringing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the stories of the strange gorilla man. Of yeah, yeah, exactly. The angry gorilla man. <laughs> He's sweaty and he breathes really heavily. Often seen in garish shirts. It's true. <laughs> in video arcades and coffee shops. Yeah, yeah. So uh, got, got that. And I've... Uh, I've got uh, a returning guest coming up who I haven't spoken to for over two years, so it's nice to be able to have him returning when I'm a little bit better at what I do. I think a little bit is underselling it, but yes, I understand. And uh, can you tell us who that guest is, or you know, would you like to hang on to it for now? Uh, I'm very hopeful that I will be re-speaking. Re I shall be speaking again with the legendary Stan Gordon. Oh, wow. All right. Well, make sure to keep an eye out for that, listeners. That is going to be a hell of a show. And uh, where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters, Cypress's second most favorite podcast, <laughs> on all international podcast apps, and also Mysteries and Monsters is across all social medias, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and such. Brilliant. And you can find me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. My show, my interview show, Largely the Truth with Brennan Store, is also available on podcast platforms everywhere. 
I could not tell you. Uh, I don't think it's charting anywhere. Uh, I haven't. Uh, th- <laughs> there won't be an episode again until the fall, but uh, the past episodes are out there. And if you want to hear more from me, of course, uh, Weird Together is that bi-weekly show that Joseph and I do. You can find, and that's a video show, so you can find that on YouTube. And I think that's just about it for wherever you can find me. If you want to get a hold of the show, we're on all the major social media platforms. We're on Twitter and Facebook as Ghost Story Guys. We are on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. And we are on Reddit as r slash Ghost Story Guys podcast. We are apparently number 37 in the UK in documentary podcasts, which <laughs> Paul brought to my attention earlier, which I thought was amazing. Yes, one above me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Ghost Story Guys 37, Mysteries and Monsters 38. And I think it said Jim Harold was 15. Yeah. So if you're going to be beaten, be beaten by the best. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> if you got a story for the show, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the best place to send it. But if you don't want to type, you can always call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call ghost line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. Again, the number is one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. One triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. You can leave your message or comment as one or a series of voicemails. I think it times out at three minutes. And we have, I believe, three really great ghost line stories that we're saving for future shows. Once, because uh, of course, we're getting now into the period where Paul and I are going to be recording episodes back to back to back. So um, we will be sharing those after all those back to back to back shows come out. But thank you to everyone who's called in. And thanks, thanks to everyone who sends in stories. We truly love hearing from you guys. We love hearing what you have to say. As you heard on this show, it, it helps inform the stories we tell. Even if we don't necessarily tell your story as part of the show, it can help illustrate a point or it can help, uh, help us understand this crazy, crazy field of interest in which we find ourselves. So thanks to everyone who writes in. And I can't believe I skipped over this, but at the top of the show, we told you all about all the great stuff you get as patrons. And of course, if you head to patreon.com slash guys. You can get access to our bonus episodes like Book of the Dead, Host Adventures. There's also Me and Paul, Sunken Library, all kinds of stuff. I worked it out. There's about, I think about 40 hours worth of material in the vault. And mm-hmm. that, that's just bonus stuff. That doesn't include uh, like the ad-free episodes, early, early access episodes, all that good stuff. There's a, a ton of content. You get at least two bonus shows every week. And then there's physical rewards, digital rewards. And just the fantastic community that we're part of. You know, we have so many wonderful patrons who always have cool shit to say, who always have insightful things to offer. And we are just so goddamn lucky to have everyone there. So again, that's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And uh, any news coming up? You got uh, some, you got, you have, you have an appearance coming up. Yes. Yes. I'm on the uh, paranormal pendle podcast. I believe that should be out and about. And I'm diving into some of my favorite and most infamous ghost stories from around Sheffield. Nice. Well, check the show notes for a link to that if it's out by the time this airs. And you can also check at ghoststoryguys.com. We publish links to all of our other appearances on the blog there. You'll be able to uh, read about the appearance and listen to the appearance right on the website. We usually embed the player from whoever has had us on into the website. So again, you can check that out there. Um, I don't have any appearances coming up presently. But Anthony does. Anthony, who is a, a good friend of mine, he's a part-time researcher for the show. 
he ended up running into the Paranormal Road Trippers, who are a, a group of investigators from, I believe, the Lower Mainland from the Vancouver area. But he ran into them up in Barkerville in northern BC, and they ended up inviting him onto Spaced Out Radio. So he did a great stretch on there. I want to say about 90 minutes talking about ghosts of northern BC and uh, also other parts of Canada. Some really, really fascinating stuff. Ghosts from the gold trails, things like that. And you'll find a link to that again in the show notes and on our website at ghoststoryguys.com. And uh, for a guy who's never done a live interview before, Anthony just fucking killed it. I, not that I'm surprised, <laughs> but just feel like it's you know, worth reiterating that uh, he did a hell of a job. Yeah, fantastic. It was really, really good. So well done, my friend. Well done. I look forward to seeing where you go from here because I got a feeling that, uh, you know, Germania is on the rise. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out again to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. That's a project of Southern California-based composer Jerry Smith. And Jerry composed the bumper music. That's the music for our breaks. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizanta Music. Find more from him at nightharvestrecordings.com or wherever you stream your music. And our story theme is by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your tunes. And remember, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in two weeks, but until then... Into the darkness we go. I think that would be easier. Paranormalpodcast yeah, yeah. at gmail.com. You got it. I wonder where that name came from. <laughs> Bizarre. And I, I don't even have a good story to show for it. You know, elbow dropping uh, The Undertaker or something. No, no, just, <laughs> just my sad, shitty body. I tell you, the man, the first time I went in there, I was going to wear uh, one of my very, very bright Hawaiian shirts because it's warm as hell out here right now. And I thought maybe, maybe I'll dress it down. Just for my first day, just, you know, as I'm for my introductory tour, I'm not going to go in there looking like Miami Vice. <laughs> and so instead I, I put on my, I've got my uh, magenta uh, Brent Manning shirt. It's like black with magenta pattern. Yes. Oh, this, th- that's, that for me is subtle. Mm. And so I, I went there and I do not belong <laughs> in an office environment. <laughs> and I closed that window. <laughs> I'm a dildo. You know, I think some right. paranormal hosts as well get the idea that they're John Constantine. So we try to make sure. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that, in my view, there are no experts. There may be people who are experts on the research and things, but nobody really knows what's going on. That's yeah, we're right there with you. I rewatched Doctor Strange 2 last night. It's on Disney Plus now, but we won't get started on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm saving that for Sunday, I think. Nice. Yes, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> Yeah, that might not go down very well in Poland. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many listeners we have over there, but I guess we got to be, be wary of these things. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know Apparently, anybody listened to As you've learned. <laughs> yes, yes. <clears throat> Nicaragua was a surprise, I have to say. Bear with me, it sounds like there's a werewolf barking outside. Okay. Can you hear that? No. <laughs> sure, Good. Paul, the, the werewolf. <laughs> it's not a werewolf. There's somebody around the corner has got a really big dog. Oh, yeah. And you can hear how big it is at the moment.
Woof. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> yes, I saw a very aggressive squirrel earlier as well, so it's a bit strange day. <laughs> well, if there's going to be an aggressive squirrel anywhere, I figure it'd be Sheffield. Yeah, up a tree shouting at something. Oi, oi, you. Yeah. Oi, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you say that about my fucking nuts. <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.